0: Party authority is a bunch of cucks. I I I, I got, okay,
1: baby. <laughs> <laughs> they're rhinos. <laughs> 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 they, it is- liter- they literally were rhinos, right? Yeah, you know, <laughs> monarchists <laughs> who are masquerading as Republicans. And his yeah, death yeah.
2: cry for the monarchy is long live the republic.
3: Hello, and welcome to the 23rd episode of Karl Marx's 18th premiere of Louis-Napoleon Reading Group series. Today is Thursday the 4th of March 2021, and I'm your host, Tom O'Brien. This week we wrap up Chapter 6, The Victory of Bonaparte. I have the new patron Jordan Friedland to thank. Jordan has been helping me out with the editing of the upcoming Understanding Class series, so double thanks to Comrade Jordan. Speaking of editing, this very episode and the previous episode of the Brumaire series was actually edited by Jack from the Auxiliary Statements podcast, so thanks, Comrade Jack. Make sure to check out their podcast, Auxiliary Statements, for loads of commie and cybernetic goodness. If you like the sound of extra patron-only episodes and live streams, and want to help keep the lights on and the episodes flowing, head on over to Patreon and throw me a few commie dollar. You also get access to the Emancipation Network Discord server, where there is constant lively theoretical debate and posting galore to be had. Okay, let's get this chapter six out of here.
2: Now picture to yourself the French bourgeois. Yes. Yeah. How in the throes of business panic, his trade crazy brain is tortured set in a whirl, stunned by rumors of coup d'etat and the restoration of universal suffrage, by the struggle between Parliament and the executive power, by the front war between the Orleanists and the Legitimists, by the communist conspiracies in the south of France, by the alleged jacqueries in the department of the Nieve and Char by the advertisements of the different candidates for presidency by the cheap jack solutions offered by journals by the threat of the republicans to uphold the constitution and universal suffrage by force of arms by the gospel preaching of immigrant heroes in the in the part of us who announced that the world would come to an end on the second sunday in may 1852 think of all this and you will comprehend why in this unspeakable deafening chaos of fusion revision prorogation constitution Conspiration, coalition, immigration, usurpation, revolution, the bourgeois madly snorts at his parliamentary republic. Rather an end would terror than a terror without end, which this feels very, very apt to everything we're talking about, except now we're all trade crazed.
4: Yeah, well, like to, to locate it in the text a little bit, um, there's a huge paragraph, which we're not going to read, that goes through essentially a textiles crisis. Where there's a crisis of like, there's crop failures and rise and falls in uh, the price of cotton. There's uh, like a crop failure in silk that, or it's below average yield. And then, like in wool manufacturing, the price of wool goes up quicker than the actual like wool products made from the raw materials can countenance. And so, there's a whole like economic crisis in textiles. It's also happening in England, although it's more of a manufacturing thing in France and a bit more, like, commercially located in, in England. But all the while, the bourgeoisie is blaming the political situation and the parliament for the the crisis. And it doesn't matter that right when the political crisis gets the worst, the economy recovers. <laughs> like, that's not... That's not, like factoring into the analysis at all
3: yeah you know, like marx makes a case that is like it's that yeah, the politics was blamed on the economics you know which wasn't true and but even you know even when the economics came back up there was also still this political crisis and the political crisis was deeper than just a normal standard trade crisis it was you know it was a class battle that had to be you know the, the capitalism was birthing in france that's well, the what... economics was blamed on the
4: politics, right? Correct. Yeah.
3: The... But underlying it was a deeper political, social battle that was going on that was kind of separate from the actual economic crisis that was being blamed. The politics was being blamed for.
2: Well, I think I think actually the blame went both ways. Like the 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 politics was blamed on the economic crisis, and the economic crisis was blamed on the political crisis, which we both see now. I also think when people think that Marx is a one-to-one political determinist or economic determinist, when you reach it like this, you have to just go like, no, he's got a way more complicated picture of their interaction. Like They're, they're feeding each other in these complicated feedback loops, but they're not
4: one-to-one the same thing. Right. You had the commercial panic in England, but you didn't get this meltdown.
2: Right. And, but the meltdown does have to do with the larger structure of the economy in the sense that classes are driving the meltdown but not necessarily the immediate income, you know, income ratios, which, which always to me, like, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest to me like people who read, and I know there's reasons to read capital this way, but people who read Marxism, Marxist as an immediate miserationist and then read this, how do you justify that? Like, because that, like, that's, this is this, you can't read this and go like, Oh, Marx thinks that politics is solely driven by a miseration in the political economy in a way that would lead to -to one-to-one revolution, like, because he's obviously seeing that's not true in France. So how do you, how do you process that? To me, that's the real question. Like, because I don't, I actually don't know what Marx actually is on that term. Like uh, I've read a lot of Marx.
0: I I, I guess based on like what we're reading here and kind of like based on what you were talking about just now, the thing that comes to mind is that maybe dare I say, maybe use an analytic model. Like, at least in this particular instance it seems like there's a mediating factor between the economic situation and the political situation the economic crisis and the political crisis which would be the class struggle right the the kind of like growing pains of like the the capitalist class displacing the landed aristocracy meanwhile they're building up the proletariat which is the new lower class kind of creating this tension within within both the economic sphere and the political sphere that's why it's not one to one. Is that the way that the class conflict is impacting the politics and impacting
2: the economics is different, and it's also different within nations. So I want to I, I want to just complicate this a little bit, though. What Marx is describing here is is class struggle within the class itself. So it's not this is not like the proletariat versus the bourgeois. No, this fair. is the bourgeois versus the bourgeois versus the ancien regime.
4: Well, you know the the landed aristocracy is becoming is. Is like, It's
2: morphing into a
0: form of bourgeois, but it's still right. kind of holding on to a lot of that old yeah. way. What And another me- complicating factor is that, like, early in the chapter, Marx talks about how, like, if the party of order with the Legitimists and the Orleanists want to, like, be able to govern together, mm-hmm. they already have the best form to do that in a parliament. Right. You can't do that with a familial monarchy. It's just not going to work. So they have to let go of that political form. If they want to survive, they have to let go of that political form and stick with their parliament and hash it out in parliament instead of trying to have a monarchy because you, you got to pick a family. You can't have both.
4: <laughs> yeah, in, in, in a way, like <laughs> if, if they stuck with the bourgeois form, right. it would have been the best for the mutually competing factions of the, the monarchists.
3: Right, like, because the state is a classed organ. If you really, the lesson here is if you really love a monarch, you just got to let them go.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I guess guess it worked for Canada.
0: Um, (laughs) It did.
4: It really did. Yeah? Uh, (laughs) That's Kyle speaking from lived experience.
1: Like, what are you talking about? Like, when Harry and Angela... (laughs) No, 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 That's, that's... What, what do you mean we still have a butter what are you talking no. about <laughs> yeah i'm actually being a dick
3: no you know I, that I, i'm actually i'm actually a direct descendant of the high kings of ireland i'm actually the royalty here holy but shit! the last king i'm not a direct sick. everybody's got the name o'brien means son of brian which originates apparently from brian Boru, who was the last king of ireland who was killed okay. after the battle of clontarf when they bet the shit out of the vikings apparently they said he was on his knees in his tent praying afterwards but apparently the proper history is that he was shagging the whole load of like uh, women of ill repute and some like some fella came in and slit his throat so um, there you go only one royalty here motherfucker that's better better than
0: praying honestly what a way to go out
3: we're going to the next bit yeah
2: let's go on (laughs)
4: Uh,
2: yeah, let's go on to the next bit. I mean, yeah, I, I I'm stunned
4: with silence. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's you know, the, only the, the only thing it's gonna get us to shut up. Like, really?
3: Was there a line to pause? So,
2: <laughs> no, I I, I, actually, I was what? actually thinking about though. In all seriousness, in the in this weird way in which America like loves British royalty in a way that's really yeah, profoundly uh, unhealthy because we got rid of them.
4: Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, our entire national identity is about how cool and strong we are that we fought the slavish slaving tyranny. Of the British, even though I guess we kind of really love slaving tyranny.
0: That's like going back to an abusive
4: parent anyway. Yeah. Yeah. After being abusive parents,
3: I'm going to read this bit. Okay. This is, there's basically a bit of, a bit of talk here beforehand where Marx talks about all the rumors of coups and how they started like the minute uh, Bonaparte got elected. And we end up here with this bit. The coup d'etat was ever the fixed idea of Bonaparte. With this idea, he again set foot on French soil he was so obsessed by it that he continually portrayed it and blurted it out. He was so weak that just as continually he gave it up again. The shadow of the coup d'etat had become so familiar to the Parisians as a spectre that they were not willing to believe in it when it finally appeared in the flesh. What allowed the coup d'etat to succeed was therefore neither the reticent reserve of the chief of the society of December 10th, nor the fact that the National Assembly was caught unawares. If it succeeded, it succeeded despite its indiscretion and with its foreknowledge a necessary, inevitable result of antecedent developments. On October the 10th, Bonaparte announced to his ministers his decision to restore universal suffrage. On the 16th, they handed in their resignations. On the 26th, Paris learned of the formation of the Thorigny Ministry. Police Prefect Carlier was simultaneously replaced by Maupin. The head of the 1st Military Division, Magnan, concentrated the most reliable regiments in the capital. On November 4th, the National Assembly resumed its sessions. It had nothing better to do than to recapitulate in a short, succinct form the course it had gone through and to prove that it was buried only after it had died. The first post it forfeited in the struggle with the executive power was the ministry. It had solemnly to admit this loss by accepting at full value the ministry a mere shadow cabinet. The Permanent Commission had received Monsieur Giraud with laughter when he presented himself in the name of the new ministers. Such a weak ministry for such strong measures as the restoration of universal suffrage. Yet the precise object was to get nothing through in Parliament, but everything against Parliament. Like, it's very difficult for me reading this stuff not to think of of what went on with Brexit about how they played like these repeated votes in Parliament and they basically got Parliament to vote down, vote down against it, vote down against it, vote down against it, and turned basically the electorate against Parliament and wanted somebody just to come in and rescue the situation. Fuck, it doesn't matter what it is. You just, just do it. Just do it. That's been an American political strategy for like... 50
2: years. Yeah, a long time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, the whole idea of, like, fucking Congress, you fucking assholes,
4: don't do shit. Like, just a blind rage at the legislative body. Yeah, like, you know, oh, there's all this procedure, and it's always stopped up. We just, we need solutions. We don't want any of the solutions on offer, of course, and we (laughs) will spend, uh, you know, people will spend lots of money to obstruct anything if anything tries to get done. But, you know, goddamn Congress. If only, and there is, there is definitely the kind of Gosh, if only we had, you know, a strong man that can push things through. Yeah,
0: the
1: the the sort of like you know, every so often, the New York Times editorial board just gets a huge uh, enthusiasm for uh, the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, Yeah. the Bloomberg liberal. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but I mean,
2: but like that's that that's actually like that's that's U.S. politics on both sides is like we hate we hate. Congress. Congress is designed not to function. Actually, as a side note, it is designed not to function, particularly after reforms and the, the conservative and progressive reforms in the middle 20th century actually really make Congress a lot less functional. So you always like you have more democracy because democracy is going to lead to dysfunction, and then we're gonna have we're gonna have everyone focus on a national election, and then we can just force stuff through through the executive, and it works. This has been kind of a, a bourgeois
4: apparatus thing for a long time.
1: Yeah.
4: Esri, do you want to take the next bit? Sure. On the very first day of its reopening, the National Assembly received the message from Bonaparte, in which he demanded the restoration of universal suffrage and the abolition of the law of May 31st, 1850. The same day his ministers introduced a decree to this effect. The National Assembly at once rejected the ministry's motion of urgency and rejected the law itself on November 13th. By 355 votes to 348. Thus, it tore up its mandate once more. It once more confirmed the fact that it had transformed itself from the freely elected representatives of the people to the usurpatory parliament of a class. It acknowledged once more that it had itself cut in two the muscles which connected the parliamentary head with the body of the nation. By its motion to restore universal suffrage, the executive power appealed from the National Assembly to the people. The legislative power appealed by its quaestor's bill from the people to the army. This quaestor's bill was to establish its right of directly requisitioning troops, of forming a parliamentary army. While it thus designated the army as the arbiter between itself and the people, between itself and Bonaparte, while it recognized the army as the decisive state power, it had to confirm, on the other hand, the fact that that it had long given up its claim to dominate this power. By debating its right to requisition troops, instead of requisitioning them at once, it betrayed its doubts about its own powers. By rejecting the Quaester's bill, it made public confession of its impotence. The bill was defeated, its proponents lacking 108 votes of a majority. The Montaigne thus decided the issue. It found itself in the position of Burden's ass, not indeed between two bundles of hay with the problem of deciding which was the more attractive, but between two showers of blows with the problem of deciding which was the harder. On the one hand, there was the fear of Sean On the other, the fear of Bonaparte. It must be confessed that the position was not a heroic one. On November 18th, an amendment was moved to the law on municipal elections introduced by the party of order to the effect that instead of three years, one year's domicile should suffice for municipal electors. The amendment was lost by a single vote, but this vote immediately proved to be a mistake. By splitting up into its hostile factions, the party of order had long ago forfeited its independent parliamentary majority. It showed now that there was no longer any majority at all in parliament. The National Assembly had become incapable of transacting business. Its atomic constituents were no longer held together by any force of cohesion. It had drawn its last
3: breath. It was dead. Nancy. <laughs> uh I should play some organ music here. Yeah, this would be good. Sorry, yeah, R.I.P. R.I.P. P.O.O. That's what I say. Yeah, they were doomed. Really, the initials of Party of Order is Poo. Really, like <laughs> about it. they were never going to do anything. Is it
4: that way in French? Hmm.
3: <laughs> Le Poo.
2: All right. No, it would be – party would be at the end, wouldn't it be? It would be like, oops. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
1: What's, uh, that's, why, that's why I was way more confident.
3: Whichever way you look you can, at
1: it. You can't have, can have party at the front uh, in, uh, in French. Uh, like yeah, in, in, right? in Canada, we have the uh, pelty Quebecois. The uh, the Quebecois party in in
3: Quebec, as you might imagine. So so mm-hmm.
2: so it would have been poo. It, poo- it would have been poo. Yeah, because
3: the- <laughs> it's the French Communist Party, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh
1: yeah,
3: yeah. You're like right. uh,
1: pelty doldler or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And
4: so that's so this is pathetic, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, <laughs> they voted on a bill to. Try to do something that I guess they already had the power to do. It wasn't clear if that was
0: something they could just do or or if what Marx meant is that since Bonaparte is playing dirty and extra constitutionally, like, just fucking get the troops to defend yourself. Fuck it. Like at
3: this point, like, I don't even think he was acting extra constitutionally when he did any of these moves. He was able to get rid of the minister's. The thing is that they, they'd already assigned over the power. Do you remember there was a part where Shangarnier was supposed to be uh, reporting to them or something, and he basically filled the army with loyalists, and they wouldn't, mm-hmm. you know, so that they'd already kind of lost control over the army, particularly when they went against the army over they, them going in, uh, attacking Rome, the Roman Republic. Mm-hmm. So they already fine. lost the army. So it, this vote was them trying to regain the army in some way, but they but they couldn't even really do it. Like uh, because- that's,
1: that's that's not quite right, Tom. The the vote was to oh, raise okay. a separate army under the control of Parliament, which would not be under the control of Shanghongye. This this was uh this was brought up a little bit, or was brought up a little bit earlier in the text. This this question of, of the parliamentary army, but yeah, the, they, they basically didn't have the confidence, they didn't have the guts to try to raise a separate army to take on Sean Garnier's army.
4: But okay, like, so they, they already lost control of the army, then they're like, hey, let's make our own army, and then yeah. they're like, let's vote about raising like a parliamentary, like, you know, Extra, you know, I don't know, like what, what's the word, extra. Mili- bleh, I forget the
1: word, Alicia, you know, Par- paramilitary.
4: Yeah, paramilitary. Like, like yeah, let's get let's have an official paramilitary and let's vote well, on having a paramilitary.
1: Basically. Well, yeah. the funny thing is, they did, and it was called the uh National Guard, right? Yeah. <laughs> wow, <laughs> it was right.
3: gone, so right, uh, right. But in, in Kyle, yeah. were, in this, were they not trying to requisition, like take a part of the army and make it? Make it answerable to the to the Parliament, or it going to be. Uh, I, I think they were trying to raise an
1: entirely separate force. Yeah, yeah, that was a yeah. dumb idea. Dumb idea. It, well, yeah, it was an act of desperation, right? Like yeah. they had this idea on the books as like a kind of insurance policy for their power, right? And then when the moment came to actually call it in, they realized how unfeasible it was. And didn't amount to anything. It's fucking pathetic, anyway you slice it.
2: So this is sort of how like Trump uses DHS to do the work that he can't get the Army to do, and DHS Mm -hmm. is like not actually all that. Yeah, other than Border Patrol being a bunch of paramilitary goons that we've allowed to be paramilitary goons for fifty years, it can't really do that much because like they don't actually have that much power, even under broad opposition powers going back to bush is that what it's like because it's it's like this is where the analogy to the current really falls down because for one thing yeah, american politicals have not really paid attention to the army and politicized it since i
4: don't know eisenhower oh, during like vietnam there was some politicization
2: yeah but like, but even then like you had it like like Vietnam McNamara, War, McNamara like did the Pentagon Papers to mess with LBJ. Like, so they didn't even really control it that that thoroughly then.
1: I think you might see this as uh, similar to what happened in the the English Civil War. Okay, par- Parliament had its own army, right? But of right. course, this is a more modern s- situation where you have standing armies and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think you know if you look at. Like, yeah, I guess there's, there's, it's, it's definitely like the situation with DHS is kind of like in between this idea and like the society of what was it? The
3: society uh, yeah. of December 10th. December 10th, yeah, right? That, that's, that's kind worth, of that's
1: what DHS feels like to me is like, yeah. yeah, it's like, it's kind of part of the state. It's kind of a conspiracy. It's kind of a personalistic power thing. But But I don't don't think that's where DHS came up before.
4: Like that's that's what I was thinking about is that when we talked about DHS before, it was actually on the Bonapartist side. And yeah, here this Yeah, it's
1: it's it's definitely not like Congress is running DHS against the (laughs) Pentagon or something like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that'd be madness, man. yeah.
2: When I think about that, it is like Congress called up an additional militia, so so because it didn't trust the Pentagon staffing the generals correctly, because it <laughs> liked the President too much. Like that mm. is the American and we don't that didn't even happen in the Civil War. So like we don't have <laughs> anything like like this is truly sad and pathetic please help us military. We can't raise in time. I mean, like what would they have done if they got it even like
3: they wouldn't, they wouldn't have done anything. They would,
4: they, they would have vote, they voted on whether to have a coup. Like that's what they would have done. It's like full parliamentary cretinism.
1: Yeah. And, and of course the people doing this are Royalists.
4: <laughs> That's a funny thing.
1: It's so fucking yeah. backwards.
0: Yeah,
4: like a hundred, like yeah, a hundred years after, like their idol was decapitated to prevent this kind of, like, governmental form from taking hold. It's like, help me, you know, Parliament. You're my only hope. <laughs> it's, a, it's it's really a, a pathetic farce. Like, like, and Marx really, you can tell Marx really enjoys how humiliated they are <laughs> while being terrified and kind of like. Like, at the same time, like, you know, this is actually kind of scary, but it's kind of funny, too. I mean, it
2: is is interesting to me. This is the text that if you want to understand where Marxists fail to to understand fascism is because they they don't see this text enough. Because fascists always tend to start off this kind of farcical and then end up, like, killing a whole shit ton of people. Yeah, people,
3: like... people think oh they're just idiots. Look, they don't they don't make any sense. They're stupid, and the next thing they know, they've got their hands on the fucking weapons. And it doesn't matter if they're if they have stupid ideology. You know? I mean,
2: they they don't win ultimately, but they can kill a whole lot of people in failing, and that's like yeah, yeah
3: right. That's bad yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah, like and in fairness to Bonaparte, he didn't really fail. And he didn't really did he kill that many people in in the grand scheme of things? No. He he just
1: he just lost France a catastrophic war with Germany or Prussia at the time. Oh yeah, yeah,
3: sorry. Yeah, I forgot about that. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Other than that. Other
3: than that. Yeah. Ah shit. There's my (laughs) see, you can listen to all those fucking revolutions podcasts, but they go in one ear and out the other.
4: That's, that's why we got the chopping block, Tom. You're going to make me and you sound as smart as possible.
3: No one will be any the wiser. Hell yeah. A lot of chopping to do today. Put our poo and oops. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Kyle, do you want to round it out? I'm just All right. Sounds bit. good.
1: All right. So we start with a, a block quote from the Journal des Debats.
3: The, this, this quote is actually a quote of Bonaparte that he's given to people on the return from the London Industrial Exhibition to a whole lot of a yes. crowd of bourgeoisie.
1: Right, so he says, uh, with such unhoped for successes, I am justified in reiterating how great the French Republic would be if it were permitted to pursue its real interests and reform its institutions, instead of constantly disturbed by demagogues on the one hand and by monarchist hallucinations on the other. Loud, stormy, and repeated applause from every part of the amphitheater. The monarchist hallucinations hinder all progress and all important branches of industry. In place of progress, nothing but struggle. One sees men who were formerly the most zealous supporters of the royal authority and prerogative become partisans of a convention merely in order to weaken the authority that has sprung from universal suffrage. Loud and repeated applause. We see men who have suffered most from the revolution and have deplored it most provoke a new one and merely in order to fetter the nation's will. I promise you tranquility for the future, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Bravo, bravo! A storm of bravos. This is Bonaparte with his his, his adoring yeah. audience. Um, so this is how
4: democracy dies. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so what's funny about this is we always try to make Bonaparte like Trump as a Bonapartist, but like in some ways that I feel like that could come out of Joe Biden's mouth like verbatim.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll call sure. that early. 18th, 18th Brevere, baby. Joe Biden. 18th Brevere of Joe Biden. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway. My God. We thought it was 20 at the time. We thought it was <laughs>
4: until, until history is on horseback. Oh, yeah, you're
1: right. History. History on horseback. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, so... Thus, the industrial bourgeoisie applauds with servile bravos the coup d'état of December 2nd, the annihilation of Parliament, the downfall of its own rule, the dictatorship of Bonaparte. The thunder of applause on November 25th had its answer in the thunder of cannon on December 4th. And it was on the house of Monsieur Salandreuse who had clapped most that they clapped most of the bombs. Cromwell, when he dissolved the long Parliament, went alone into its midst, took out his watch so that it should not continue to exist a minute after the time limit he had fixed, and drove each one of the members of Parliament with hilariously humorous taunts. Napoleon, smaller than his prototype, at least he betook himself on the 18th premier to the legislative body and read out to it, though in a faltering voice, its sentence of death. The second Bonaparte, who, moreover, found himself in possession of an executive power very different from that of Cromwell or Napoleon, sought his model not in the annals of world history, but in the annals of the Society of December the 10th, in the annals of the criminal courts. He robs the Bank of France of 25 million francs, Buys General Magnon with a million, the soldiers with 15 francs apiece and liquor, comes together with his accomplices secretly like a thief in the night, has the houses of the most dangerous parliamentary leaders broken into, and Cavagnac, La Mauricière, Le Flot, Changarnier, Charat, Trier, Buzz, etc. dragged from their beds and put in prison the chief squares of Paris and the parliamentary building occupied by troops and cheap jack placards posted early in the morning on all the walls proclaiming the dissolution of the National Assembly and the Council of State, the restoration of universal suffrage, and the placing of the same department in a state of siege. In like manner, he inserted a little later in the moniteur a false document which asserted that Influential parliamentarians had grouped themselves around him and formed a state consulta. The rump parliament, assembled in the Mali building of the uh, 10th arrondissement and consisting mainly of the Legitimists and Orleanists, votes the deposition of Bonaparte amid repeated cries of Long live the Republic! Unfailingly harangues the gaping crowds before the building and is finally led off in the custody of African sharpshooters, first to the Dulce barracks and later packed into prison vans and transported to the prisons of Mazat and Vincennes. Thus ended the party of order, the legislative assembly, and the February Revolution. Wow. Whenever I
2: feel bad about American history, I can always look to France. <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> then
4: there's a, there's a there's a nice handy timeline of its mm. requiem for a dream style degeneration generation that we probably all could have consulted beforehand just to uh
2: <laughs> just because
4: because we don't remember all of all of our mike duncan offhand so
1: yeah yeah he's got a he's got a very uh Excellent outline of uh, the stages of degeneration. <laughs> I love how in the the first period from February twenty fourth to May fourth, eighteen forty eight. February period prologue: universal brotherhood swindle.
3: <laughs> yeah, um. God, well,
2: you know it's it's so I forget that Marx is funny.
3: Yeah, and then uh. the
1: last the last bit here. <laughs> Victory of Bonaparte, parody of restoration of empire.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 When you spend a lot of time with like totally humorless Marxists, you, you do forget that Marx had a sense of humor, is a funny person, is entertaining to read. Also, if you spend all your time looking at his uh, unedited like political economy notes or posthumous stuff, it's like. But
2: let's say the Grandessa is not <laughs> funny. Like...
4: No, no, it's not. <laughs> Theories of surplus value is not very, you know. I mean, I guess there's there's a, there's a couple dunks. There's some
2: there. there's some zingers there's in some zingers Capital in. Volume One and Two, but in general, you got about 500 pages between them, and most of them are in footnotes. So, right,
1: yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> There's, some, there's one. some good stuff in Volume Three when he gets to talking about like the finance sector. Oh God, that is mm. funny.
2: Yeah. I actually wish Marx had lived long enough to write more about the finance sector because it's become so important, but also it's like when he says some hilarious shit in that part of the book.
3: Anybody uh, know who this uh, Monsieur San was who clapped the most, uh, <laughs> that they clapped most of the bombs on him? <laughs> like I looked him up. I think he was like uh, some bourgeoisie. I wonder why they fucked the bombs on him. Just kind of an aside. So uh, he appears to be an industrialist of some sort. Yeah.
1: I I do want to just sort of mention in this in this history, the greatest booster of the Nazis in Austria. As soon as the Nazis showed up, they were like, Oh, you're too much of an academic for us. And killed him the first day of the wow. Anschluss. What? Who, who are you seeing? Uh, he was a he was a he was an intellectual who turned towards supporting and boosting Nazism and uh, Führerprinzip and okay. argued for Anschluss. And as soon as the SS rolled into Austria, they did him in. <laughs> just, just right away. It was like, no, nah, I don't think you're gonna fit in here, buddy. Rip. Thunder of bombs fell upon his head. The bombs clapped on who
4: who had clapped most. All right. Makes okay. sense. Is the custody of African sharpshooters the uh, his part of the uh, lumpen composition of the Society of December 10th?
3: They're a, they're a division. They're the army. They'll be a section of the... They're probably like Algerian troops or something. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. There's nothing much to say about this, but it's just basically like this is the end of it. Do we have anything else we want to say about chapter six before we close up?
0: Party authority is a bunch of cucks. I, 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 I
1: okay, baby. <laughs> they're rhinos. <laughs> 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 they, it is... liter- they literally were rhinos, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they're they monarchists <laughs> who were monarchists who are masquerading as Republicans.
2: And his yeah. yeah, death cry for the monarchy is long live the Republic.
1: Like, oh, uh, Yeah, oh, along with was- the republic, as the
0: republic puts them into prison bands. Kyle,
3: uh-huh. that's two classics you have: the, 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 <laughs> the, the 18th premier of Joe Biden and Rhinos Republicans <laughs> in name only. It's like, funny because I wasn't was sure if you zero. meant
4: I wasn't sure if you meant Republicans or Royalists in name only, because they could be both. Oh my like. god! <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs>
2: oh wow! I mean. Like I said, sometimes French history makes me feel better about American history. So why do you say that? because of this like our early bourgeoisie were still in the English yeoman tradition,
3: and they were fools, but they were fools. Who- who were more competent frankly they still, they still had slavery and com- big time and committed genocide so it's like oh, oh yeah. yeah
2: but that's yeah, all yeah. the bourgeoisie this, That's like, everybody this, like, this isn't
3: a virtue contest this is no, like no, no, uh no, no, no. i don't
4: know
2: but, this this is the least, right. least
4: least least ridiculous contest Yeah. yeah least like, bad
0: this is know. not yeah. this
2: is not who's better i mean like w- would i rather be a, a a a slave in Haiti or a slave in the us south like that's a that's an idiotic question you don't want to be either but like right. Our degeneration in eighteen sixty was an actual proper fucking tragedy that also led to liberation. There's leads to not much of anything
1: at all. So it leads to you know Saint Simonianism and massive state finance investment and uh, a lot of scandals and harebrained schemes, uh, which terminate when uh, the the Prussians roll in,
2: right. Which, which also hear... tends to be like
3: now that's the province of America and Britain. So you know, did you hear? Did you hear Boris Johnson's latest one? Actually, it's a few months old. uh, Talk about hairbrain schemes. He wants to build a bridge from the UK to Ireland, like which would be probably like forty miles, and it goes over all the all the ordnance where where they dumped all their bombs uh, after World War Two. So there's like if you sail like in the Irish Sea, like there's these like certain pits where you you're 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 told not to go near because like literally they've dropped like i think a couple of million tons of explosives to the bottom of the sea out there after world war ii so he wants to build a bridge over that and the experts are going like we can't go near there for like ten thousand years or something (laughs) tom no big deal
4: just dig them up and shoot them into the sun no problem
3: i know it's just yeah well also weird.
2: also i like to just remind people who get a little bit like oh europe is so wonderful and i'm like Mm-mm. like do you do you read european news particularly from the x part of europe that is now the dangly bits um floating in the ocean the dangly uh, bits <laughs> floating in
3: the ocean <laughs> Yeah. This is, not, this is not star trek this, this is the klingon empire we're talking about here <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: well, I mean, I've always thought oh, that yeah. Europe was the dangly bits off Asia, and now I'm just gonna like, well, it has its own dangly bits up yeah. up north, like just floating. Well, at well, worst, we're the hind it's fractals, hindquarters.
4: Near <laughs> <laughs> the hind quarter, uh,
3: yeah. the rump, the rump. Yes,
4: dang- dangly fractals.
3: Yeah,
4: yeah. Uh, I mean, like, I, I just, I don't know. Like, we keep making these comparisons, and you know, the one thing I'll say about you know American. Yeoman, bourgeoisie, like, making pacts with slavers and bullshit. Is that like, you know, they set set up articles of confederation, didn't work. Then they, you know, hammer through a constitution. The republic survives a civil war and is, like, still around. What will this country do? Because all things end when things come tumbling down. In France, I mean, the government falls all the time. That's what they say, French like, we're district. like the third
2: empire, the fourth republic. Yeah, or whatever. Like, whatever.
4: They'll just, <laughs> they'll just get a new one. They can just put it back. <laughs> They've done it before. They'll do it again. You know, like, it's fine. But what happens when there's a real 18th Brumaire in the United States? Right. When there's really, like, a, when the, the grand experiment actually, like, the actual institutions crumble. Like, we
2: always compare it to the Soviet Union, but the Soviet experiment was only like two generations
4: <laughs> long. Yeah, right? that was like a, one guy, like like who you know, drank a lot of carrot juice. And it's lived one of this,
2: yeah, it's one of those things I actually like to point out when people are always like, Well, America's the youngest national culture, or, you know, and I'm like, It's an artificial nation, but it's literally the oldest constitutional nation on earth. Yeah. There's loads of
4: European nations are fucking only about twenty years old. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, 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 what happens when this state falls? It, that, you don't just put Humpty Dumpty back together again.
0: No, there's no second American Republic. Like,
2: no, well, I mean, it, it, there might be, maybe. but it'll be in like New Jersey. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say? Long live the Jersey Republic. <laughs> the,
4: the
2: first, what are, what are you trying to say? It'll, it'll,
4: it'll be unlivable. Like, what, 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 are you, what are you saying? No, I mean, <laughs> like.
2: <laughs> I'm just saying, like, who's gonna want it? And I think, I think it's gonna be the the, the state of Springsteen would want to be the second
4: American Republic.
2: And like,
4: oh like there's, a there's a balkanization, there's <laughs> a balkanization process, and some of them might have some like, hey, remember when we had a continent-wide block from sea to shining sea? Kitsch basically, yeah. like because, like, it, yeah, we it does seem like I, I don't know. People have said this in the past. Certainly, the new left said stuff like this. It does seem like we're reaching the ends of our ability to resolve problems constitutionally, right? Um, well, well,
2: the, well, here's here's what happens. What if the Constitution fails, but the state doesn't? Which is, I think, actually more likely.
4: Yeah, that's kind of been the that's kind of been the situation for a while. Like, you get that like Robert late reading.
1: Roman Empire vibe. Right, exactly, and I like the yeah. like,
2: po-
4: point when people are like,
2: "Well, you're going to be a civil war real soon." I'm like, "Dude, the Roman Empire fell for like I don't know a thousand
4: fucking years." <laughs> oh, so, like you're counting Byzantium, like and, and, and rightly so.
2: So, so like,
4: we're gonna so we're gonna split down the middle. Like the western half is gonna go like pretty quick and fall to the Californian barbarians, and then the eastern half is gonna preserve its like. Well, I, I guess the, what. What? The dynamic would be flipped, I, right? I, I would actually like the, the, eastern, the eastern half would, would fall, and the western half would be like Americana, like preservationists for a thousand years, yeah, right? What's, what's, what's what's weird American about, yeah, Byzantium.
2: what's weird about that, though, is I would say that, that California is the only part of the United States that could actually... survive. But I don't actually believe that anymore because of both water and fire problems. It is actually not a viable republic. It has too many natural resource issues. So mm. it's like...
1: What do you do? I it mean, it would yeah. have to be like it have to be like Israel, just you know, ultra organized. Oh, that time. <laughs> like, like it would it would have to be a very disciplined society to survive because you're talking about like yearly fire wars and water rationing at infinitum.
2: Yeah. So, so like yeah. the culture of the Bay in LA would just have to not exist. They'd have to annihilate
4: themselves in, like, a kombucha war or something?
2: Well, I mean, like, California fash. I guess those are a thing,
4: though. So we're talking about the new Californian (laughs) Republic from Fallout New Vegas. Is that what we're talking about? Basically. I like like
1: worse, but worse. (laughs) Yeah.
4: Yeah, the new Californian Republic is at least nominally democratic. No, but yeah, but they're really like, I mean, they look good compared to the Legion, you know, that are larping ancient Rome and talking about Hegelian dialectics (laughs) in in a good way, which we all know is a big red flag, flag. huge red flag, and, you know, are literally instituting slavery. But the New California Republic are also a bunch of jackbooted thugs.
0: Yeah, of course. so. Basically, what we're saying is that the only good route is free, uh, independent New Vegas. I mean, they do use an,
4: an Auguste Blanqui quote for that, <laughs> like for that for that quest. So that's pretty good. Anyway,
3: um, the what, point what, is, are we, what are we talking about? What, what, the, <laughs>
4: what
2: the fuck are you <laughs> talking you about, is? Jesse? Yeah, uh, I, I was more, I was more just. War- I actually am thinking that we're see- that the United States has a hyper brittle constitution. I think we all kind of know it
3: now. Yeah, yeah, but and- I think. It's more it's than just constitution. For a long time. I think I think their empire at the moment is brittle and it's breaking down. And I think that will that'll be the thing I think that will be will catalyze the, all of this stuff, like the social and the political. But it's really like the endogenous factors that seem to be
4: weakening more so than the imperial holdings. And like in order to like actually keep the internal structure together, that would be the reason to like withdraw. Kind of like in the United Kingdom. Yeah, I was like, about
2: to say, like, our military is still holding on to its proxies pretty well. Like, it's right. that's not the problem. And and it's also able to keep our dollar afloat, which is right. also not the problem. The problem is inter- it is a lot like it is more like like in some way we're ancient Rome where our own internal
3: politics is actually what's mm-hmm. making our imperial project fail, not not even over expansion. I don't know like how much it was internal politics and Rome that caused the thing. I think it was a lot more complex than that. But also, I would say that, that if you look at the transactions, the percentage uh, of, of purchases done by China and Russia in uh, the U.S. dollar has dropped really significantly over the last few years. Yeah, but they, they've like, been
2: threatening it for a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah.
3: But, but it dropped it from about 90% of all transactions, uh, foreign transactions in the dollar about four years ago to about 60%. This year, so I but, think that's that's a that's a that's a, that's a function that you, of the dollar. But if you
2: are a proper Marxist, Tom? And I often doubt that you are. Um, <laughs> whoa, so what? Damn. What? Whoa,
1: whoa,
4: hey, hey, hey.
2: Lowercase M, people, because it's too you, descriptive. Um, because because you flirt too much with pr- currency shit.
3: Oh God Almighty! Yeah,
2: I know you're going to go there so, again. No, 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 no. Oh, but actually, 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 here's my here's my point. The transformation right.
4: problem makes MMT true. Anyway, what? That is uh. true. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Derek. Go for it. Derek. You're going to make your friend mad. Really mad. Anyway,
2: um. make a point. <laughs> the, the bigger point is China, China's economy is dependent on using America to, to dip, to throw with overproduction. Like that, that mm. is a major factor in how it can produce Um, even with, you know, the state, the state effectively overproduces even for a capitalist economy. And even if you don't think it's a capitalist commodity, it's really overproducing and it has that problem. And it has a problem with, with, with India. So you actually, the, the reason why I keep on saying Rome is Rome is is where you don't have a clear hegemony to like, just replace the old one. We really don't like, you don't have a clear, like, it's actually not clear that China can actually do it under its current structure. In the UNESCO and what I'm, uh, I'm not saying that, that means the U.S. will. It means that like
3: there's residual problems everywhere. Like there's yeah. not a clear new. I think I, it's, I, a, it's crisis. You're going to have a long period of crisis and stagnation and crisis. That's that's what I look at. Well, and, I mean, I think that's a I think that's a given. But I also think
2: like if you look at it in terms of, it depends on when we look at crisis. Do we look at it in terms of capitalist crisis or, or in terms of other of like social collapse and what I keep on telling Marxists is like the end of feudalism is, I mean, the end of feudalism and the beginning of capitalism is actually kind of world historically the odd man out. That's not what normally happens when you hit crisis like this. You normally do have slow endogenous collapse. If we're using Rome as,
0: as the example, like that led to the rise of feudalism because they couldn't, people couldn't rely on the Roman empire to keep them safe. So they looked towards our like, local aristocratic landowners so, it, are you saying that like the kind of like accelerationist neo-reaction people might be kind of right as as you know we see the slow to kind of like American empire with no clear hegemon to like replace it? Is it just going to be like we're looking to a local?
4: <laughs> nation state uh warlords to protect us. well yeah like the corporate like patchwork ceos or whatever yeah well,
2: you're gonna be looking at different things depending on different areas i also think you'll mm. see a lot stronger regional politics i mean in some ways like the, i hate to say the duganist but the duganist hope about breaking up a marriage and is not that so they can replace it as a world empire but so right. that like you have these strong regionally dominant fairly conservative reactionary like regimes emerge to dominate local areas in a way that like the liberal order as headed by America has prevented. And you'll see that in the, in the, in the, in liberal order itself. I mean, I think that's kind of what we're seeing is you're seeing various attempts to deal with the fact that everybody thinks there's a crisis coming. That's bigger than the one we currently have. You know, there's the big one, which is, which is ecological, which no one can do shit about, but there's, there's all these other things that we're hitting the limits on where, where I'm at is I don't think it's going to look like, I, I actually don't think it looks like a civil war. I don't think it looks like a revolution even. I think it looks like, like without certain other factors happening, it looks like a long kind of slow decline. It's like, we won't know it until it's a way over. And then I think it probably like in the United States probably started in the, before the Soviet
3: Union even fell. But mm. I could see, I could see easily a kind of a 19, I mean, like some kind of a 19, uh, 1830 type revolution, as in it's a revolution that tries in 20 years time or something and is kind of, you know, brought down a different path than it's intended. Oh, yeah, yeah, I could see something that like that happening.
2: But what I yeah. don't see is like that, uh, like. Like I'm a, I I'm a I am i am I talk to a lot of people who really believe in like Grossman and Mandel and like this this final immiseration thesis and they really want to believe it. They really, really want to believe that you raise the pro, the, the proletariat up through capital and the socialization, then watch it clash and then automatically release a communist revolution. Yeah. I, I I just if that's I, I'm gonna say if that's what Marx believed, he's wrong.
4: And I well, don't know Marx... that's what believed either. You know. Marx very clearly didn't believe that. Like in, in my view, like in all of his like political, like speeches and strategic writings and letters, uh, he, I mean, he really saw the opportunity for revolutions in wars, which is right. Like when he, he was looking forward essentially to a continent wide war that could be turned into a civil war, which of course didn't really happen until the war lasted too long. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, Marxist point of views on this are not Marx's point of view on this. Right?
2: Like, Marx, like, Marx does seem to understand though that in that, that the wars do do have a tie to economic, like business cycles and and crackdowns and, and elites. But we like the the one to one like the immiseration of the proletariat will lead to the revolution because of the economic propelling it like. I, there's just no evidence for that. There isn't. We yeah. like is if, if one that one? was true,
3: 1890 should have ended
2: capitalism.
3: Eh. What was the rate of profit in capital in 1890? It dropped precipitously. Yeah, like, still, still way higher than what it is now. I think even at the drop, <laughs> but you know the, the the world rate of profit is probably something like 10% now. Oh yeah, you know?
2: yeah, yeah, and, right. I,
3: and it's going down. You know, it's, it's probably less now. It gets the last stats I've seen are about twenty fifteen. You know, but like, yeah. So I I think what we're going to see is like as well, like we're seeing a global low rate of profit uh, emerge in most. You know, most places. Yeah, even even low China, rate even China. Yeah, China even will have, China. China had their, a lot of, the rate of, of exploitation. Trump. You know, I I imagine a multipolarity of stuff coming out. That's me too. Yeah, I, yeah, that's yeah. That most likely because you know. I think it would take 20 years to get a good uh, revolutionary party, say, in the U.S., say a really good one, you know, it'd probably take 20 years. Right. And, you know, unless it starts now, you know, you're not going to. See, yeah, it might be. You're not going to see something late. cycle. It's too late this yeah. cycle, probably.
0: Just to one last, kind of go back to like how, you know, the end of the American empire or whatever and like how like changes of mode of production generally happen. I think one of the differences and one of the things that was unique about the transition from feudalism to capitalism is kind of like taking on like a kind of cybernetic perspective. Like you had to add work into the system in order to make it become capitalism to centralize it in that way is something that came to mind. Like I think part of that was came through the economic changes, but also through the political clashes that came through the the, uh, revolutions and France and England and and the Americas.
2: Well, this is where like I'm not a total Brenner thesis person, but I think where Brenner has a point is England in particular had an incentive to reinvest into production after the enclosure movement in ways that that other states which tried to do um imperial extraction early such as such as Spain did not have the incentive to do. That willingness to do reinvestment really does matter. That's that's the main difference. It's not like that like feudal feudal empire late feudal empires were like, dude, like Spain controlled, like had access to resources the likes of which we don't even really understand. And yet it couldn't generate a profit generating mechanism like it just couldn't like it. it, it they they were like at They were at feudal profit modes. Like if you go look at like something like one percent, if you try to convert it into GDP and all those historical conversions are questionable, but it's still like it's clearly super low whereas early like Eng- early english industrial capitalism had profit rates like the world had never seen so like that's that's a huge as to why i mean you know that's that's an open question but um and imper- you know and, and it makes imperialism a lot a lot more efficient right like it's it's possible but, but now like what can you even imperialize really like what can you what can you bring capitalism even to? like i guess maybe like miniature like tiny tiny barely hanging on tribes in the middle of the amazon that like, that's all you got left
4: gonna yeah send a mission to these sentinels. good luck with
3: yeah. that yeah um i love that they <laughs> killed that guy that's brilliant they just stabbed him with a fear fucking brilliant you gotta love them guys right yeah. <laughs> oh my god i've anybody really seen that there's a uh, there's a uh, film by uh Scorsese about the Jesuit monks going to Japan. Has Yeah, seen I've that? seen Silence. Yeah, it's quite. Re- I think that's a very reactionary film. I really like the guy who played the the total bastard Japanese kind of political guy who was torturing them. Was a fucking brilliant actor. But um, it kind of reminds me of that. I would recommend watching it though. It's quite a decent film. If you, Reactionaries if you reactionary, make better movies generally. I hate to admit it, but Well, those are the <laughs> only ones who get to make movies. <laughs> Let's be honest. The Connie's Well no, one. we have Brett. Who? Brett. <laughs> yeah. Uh we've got one. Who's the English guy? Ken Loach. Ken Loach. Yeah, that's about it.
4: Yeah. Um, I, want
3: Bo- I want to see Boots Riley make another movie. Oh, that Come was on. quality. I like Boots. That was a fucking great movie. That
4: was, that was a good movie.
3: That was a great movie. <laughs> On this episode, you heard the theme tune The Order of the Pharaonic Jesters and Night of the Purple Moon by Sun Ra and his orchestra. The artwork for the show was created by the Korean artist and author of the 2019 Marx Engels illustration book. You can check out links to his work and Twitter account in the show notes. Thank you for listening and please join me for the next episode of From Alpha to Omega. This show is a member of the Emancipation Network, a Marxist podcast research collective. Make sure to check out our network sister podcasts General Intellect Unit, Jumpsuit Utopia, Mortal Science, and Swampside Chats.